Good morning on this Wednesday morning, which is a green day. Did you know that it's a green day? Wednesday is a green day because that's when the green ray from Solar Logos is permeating everything today. So it's a green day, it's a healing day, it's a day of truth. That's a green day. <coughs> and we have a very... Um, unusual discussion this morning about what's normal when we're living in a paranormal world. So, <clears throat> with all the events, recent events in the world, one can truly say we live in a paranormal world. So, what is normal in this time? And the Ascended Masters have a comment about that. They say, mm, all is not what it seems. The Ascended Master... Um, Al Moria often says, it's all is not what it seems. So this is a, the basic theme of our discussion here this morning with um, Anna Kalima. And she's with us here in the studio, and we're going to be talking. So, good morning, Anna Kalima. Good morning, Blessed Ralph. Yes, Wednesday is a lovely day, although... It is the ray of truth. All seven rays are also the exponents of their own truth in the virtue of the Chohans thereof and the mighty archangels and Elohim. But the emerald flame of truth is to do with uh, the Divine Mother and the principle of the Divine Mother, which is abundance. So, you know, the earth and all her foliage is not green for happenstance. There is a reason why it is green, other than the obvious light of the sun, etc., etc. The the precipitative ray, because the emerald ray is the ray of precipitation and manifestation. It is the ray by which all healing, when it does come forward, comes through um, in alignment with whatever other ray you might be upon. We have the mighty Elohim Cyclopea, the all-seeing eye of God. The vision of God comes through the emerald fire sun, Ralph. And the emerald sun is a very beautiful sun. And people say, well, is there an actually green sun? There is an emerald sun, just as there is a ruby ray sun, and so on and so forth. And the Elohim are those that bring forth the light of that sun, because in another word for Elohim could actually be an aspect of the sun. Okay, that's um, interesting enough. So, that's going to be part of our discussion this morning. And so we're starting off already talking about the green and the truthfulness of, of, uh, <laughs> of the sun. So we have a green day today. And it's a day of truth. And so we're going to now approach this question of what's normal. So, Anaklima, would you agree that we are living in a very paranormal world at the moment? The circumstances are certainly not normal. Well, we've got to take um, a look at the word para. You have the parasympathetic nervous system as well, which is, in a sense, an alternative understanding to what mankind understands paranormal in general particularly with um, monocratic um, 
science will tell you that paranormal is always to do with some kind of manifestation from interstellar space. In other words, they are saying to you it is something they can't define. It is something they can't, science can't actually articulate and say this is that and that is this. Para really means to shift, to be able to shift at any time. And it also means it moves away from the empirical worldview. It moves away from the hardcore sciences or the hard metabolic sciences. Because a parasympathetic nervous system, what does it really mean? It means your feeling world, all right? The sympathetic nervous system is to do with your feeling life. Your nervous system is to do with the actual feeling that is tangible within the physical body. But when you say para, it means you're dealing with the spiritual aspect of it. Or, unfortunately, what unconscious mankind refers today is the psychic world or the esoteric worlds. So, when we look at paranormal, we mean that it's not quite normal, and yet... The question lies in what then is normal? What is the status quo of normal? Uh, there are various levels to this. If we want to go back into the materialistic world view, normal would mean leave me alone, let me get on with my life, I earn my bread and butter and I come home at night, I just want to get on with my life. But if you look at what I just want to get on with my life means, it means that you are afraid of change, you are afraid of the shifting sands, you are afraid that, in fact, your little secure, safe world, and I don't knock people for feeling this way at all, I'm simply saying that your safe, little, secure world you've built around you is built on the shifting sands of paranormal experience because we live in a phenomenal world, which means that things change constantly. The clouds are never the same. They're always moving. If you do have the moments of the pure of azure skies, you will even see then there's some days when it's intensely blue, when it's a white blue, when it's a very, very deep cobalt blue, and so on and so forth. And then when the storms come up, particularly here in the coastlines, and that you have the, the sea mists coming up that first sort of present a type of haze over the, the sky, a whitish, filmish type of haze, and you know that there are storms going on out on the oceans out there so there is a shift there and before long you have these amazing cloud formations taking place and I would like to suggest that if you want to know what phenomena is in the sense of having some tangibility to my listeners just look at the constant ship shifting change of clouds they are the mirror of what phenomena is and you will see out in the world today, um, particularly with this uh, COVID event and the um, United States elections and so on and so forth, one day it's this and the next day it's that. There's no constant. The only constant actually is the light of Christ, Ralph, the light of the Buddha, the light of God. All else is constantly shifting and moving, shifting and moving. If we didn't have a so-called paranormal, if we were fixed in concrete, then you could kiss the planet goodbye. It is actually because of so-called, because I use that terminology specifically, paranormal, that nothing is fixed. And because nothing is fixed, we have a chance to change everything. Because it's not set in concrete. Right. Okay. Certainly things are not set in concrete at the moment, but it looks like they are trying to set something in concrete. They're trying to stereotype uh, the situation in the world. Um, people are now even being confined 
to kind of what we call <laughs> concentration camps. I'm sure that's not the right word, but people are being confined and isolated into certain places where you cannot move around freely. So you, you, what is normal today is uh, the losing of your liberty and, the li- and your losing of your freedom. I mean, that's, uh, that's what uh, most people are experiencing today. You see, the loss of freedom is always experienced more intensely by the sentient being. But they lose their freedom willingly because they do not understand how to live. They have not awoken yet and they do require, regardless of what mankind thinks, unless you sort of become a reckless vigilante and nomad, people require certain guidelines to live by which they call normality. I get up at a certain time, I go to bed at a certain time, I arrive at work at a certain time, or I start working at a certain time, so on and so forth. I eat meals at a certain time, and so on and so forth. That kind of cyclic normality becomes a guide by which people deeply depend on. And you will find this that is borne out, and I might use it as a complete opposite but a reference, people who are quite seriously mentally ill people who are in very advanced forms of autism and then moving into schizophrenia, the one way you can help them redeem themselves is through a very, very tightly scheduled life of so-called normality for them. In fact, if they don't get up at the same time every day, if they don't eat at the same time every day and so on and so forth, they actually fall apart. They, they, they go into a state of kind of mental hypothermia, if you like, where they cannot breathe, they cannot function, they can have all kinds of epileptic fits, they can go into a state of absolute crisis, because that is their only anchor, it's the only, becomes an anchor, that they know at 10 o'clock they have tea, they know at 1 o'clock it's lunchtime, at 2 o'clock they have to go and sleep for an hour between 2 and 3 at 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, they have to go and um, fresh up and wash up because dinner will come and so on and so forth. Never mind all the scheduled activities that are designed for people like that to try and help them develop fine motor skills and other things like that. That is a very extreme example, but I'm saying to you that in the main, actually the bulwark or the mass amount of humanity live like that. People can't function when these cyclic patterns of normality are thrown out, Ralph, and you yourself who have been involved in your lifetime with the rehabilitation of people who are seriously mentally disadvantaged will bear that out. Yes, no, you're quite right. There has to be a cycle of events. I mean, the sun rises every day and the sun sets every day. So just in the sunrise and sunset we have something which uh, anchors us in the reality. But uh, the length of days change. Sometimes we have short (coughs) days and sometimes we have long days. So there's even in those cycles there is a rhythm which is even flexible in nature. You you see, Ralph, if I take it and I jump a bit of a hurdle hoop forward, If everything was fixed, because we are always told that the divine axiom is as above, so below. And people think that heaven is so far removed from them, they are very, very incorrect there. Um, You'd be surprised just how similar 
living in the etheric retreats is you have a tangible body as we and I do here. You and I are sitting here. You live and move and, and move around in crystal cities of light. It might look to the average person if they were to see it because they wouldn't understand it as similar to what we have here. Buildings that are built out of concrete and stone, they're not, they're built out of living crystal. But they live and move and have their being in a very similar fashion to what we do. Heaven also has rhythm. Heaven also has, you know, the, the precision of the equinox is a classic rhythm. The movement of the planets and the stars and going around the sun is a classic definition of that holistic form of so-called normality or rhythm. You can link the two words together. Rhythm, in a sense, can become your normality if you apply it to yourself. But what I am trying to uh, open the scope on here today is just to allow the listener to understand that a paranormal world is in fact a godsend. And when Al Moria says things are not what they seem, in other words, you think because of your normality in your life, you live in a home, you have a rhythm of getting up and going to bed, you have a way with which you earn your income, and so on and so forth, whether you're working for the self or you're employed somewhere or whatever. But within the, the context of that, it is open to change any second of the day. It is open. That's why one day you can be here and the next day you pass away from a sudden heart attack. Or one day, unfortunately, you have a job and the next day you don't. That's a classic example of the fact that nothing is fixed. So paranormal, in, in the way I've viewed it over many years, we've got to take it out of this illusion and this kind of um, ambiguous nonsense that it's sort of spooky, that it's sort of frightening and so on and so forth. This is nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. You've got to remove it out of the lower astral planes where um, disembodied spirits, that is people who are out of embodiment, they haven't reincarnated yet, but they're a little bit lost. Um, you know, the disciples said to Jesus one day, what happens to a man? Where does he go? Because people must understand that Jesus taught his inner council. He had 72 disciples and 12 main disciples. But out of all, there were probably a, a cadre of about 36 of them in all. And that included women because Magdo was always with him. And so was Mary. Um, and they were taught the higher, higher esoteric laws by Jesus. They knew about reincarnation, and we know these books have been removed from the Bible. But they said to him, Lord, what happens to a man when he dies? Where does he go? And Jesus simply looked at him and said, As a man is, so he shall be when he dies. As a man is, so he shall be as he dies basically put into layman's terms wherever your consciousness is in your life your main focus if you know what i mean the main kind of vortex or thrust of your being as you move through life um, if you tend to be a fairly destructive highly addictive individual in other words you drink recklessly and you do all sorts of things and so on and you hang around bars and things and all that kind of thing. I'm talking about extremities today. When a kind of individual like that who fashions, founds, and builds no foundation in Christ, in God, um, he goes to the astral planes. People have all got this illusion just because they come across the ascended teachings. They go there as soon as they die. They don't. Mary's given countless dictations on this. This is the biggest shock of all. 
where your main focus of your consciousness is throughout your life, that kind of thing that people say, oh, yeah, you know, Jack, you know, you know, you know what he's like. That term, you know what he's like, you know, it's the sort of mainstream of a person's personality or characteristics. You will go to that particular place when you make transition. Jesus also said, in my father's house are many mansions. Were it not so, I would have told you. Mansions mean plane of existence, plane of being able to function just as you do here. But because we've been gloved over, because we have been subdued by the Catholic Church and other um, denominations, as well as certain levels of very orthodox Buddhism, um, we tend to have a very peculiar, dulled and dumbed-down view of what takes place after so-called death or transition. And we think, oh, well, I'll just go and be in heaven. There's no such thing. There are 33 planes of the astral plane. Mary and Magdalena are very keen on this understanding, particularly Magda, um, who recently ascended, um, and she had to do a great deal of work, Magdalena, Jesus' twin flame. She had to work very hard with the violet flame because as Amy Semple MacPherson, when she had her, her so-called uh, church, a scientific church that she brought about in America, she was actually very close, did you know that, Ralph, to the I Am movement of St. Germain at the same time. And it was actually taking place and happening, but she said herself she never took that on. She was not able to take it on because of her fierce devotion to Jesus and her fear that it was something that was not okay. After she made the transition and she was able to... Because, you know, if you pay off more than 51% of your karma, you don't have to reincarnate, but that doesn't mean you ascend immediately either. You then go and work in the etheric planes closest to the crystal cities of life where the charms of the rays and so on and so forth send you to go and work with individuals who need a lot of help and then you also work with decreeing. You decree forever. You never stop decreeing, Ralph. There are people on other planets like Omri Tuss and so on and so forth. They decree all the time. So the, the, the science of the spoken word, once you take part in it, is for eternity. And Magda had to go and do a tremendous amount of work in establishing the violet flame so that she could purge her astral forms, remove them, and take her ascension back to her beloved. Why do I mention all of this? Because when your consciousness is set at a certain paradigm, you will go to that particular place where you will stay for a while before you reincarnate. The denser the consciousness, where people are truly, absolutely, completely unconscious, they know nothing. You can stay on these astral planes, Ralph, for up to 300 years before you get a chance to reincarnate. I'm sure a lot of people who've done a lot of studies or are just very deeply interested have heard that the Masters have said now and then, you don't just reincarnate. There are hundreds, nay, there are, according to Hilarion and Mary, there are hundreds and thousands, you talk about cues and not liking to queue up, of people who are so desperate to earn the right to have a human body and to reincarnate because they're stuck on these astral planes. You don't just get it. It's by merit that you're able to reincarnate on this planet. So these are very interesting subjects that come up. But the most interesting one of all is the the level of consciousness. Is it normal? Is it paranormal? Or are you moving from all of that by elevating your consciousness in Christ 
and moving away from all of that because you can escape it. True freedom, any ascended being, the cosmic Christ will tell you, is not to be bound to any one of the 33 planes of the astral plane. And in fact, Maitreya has even gone further to state in his teachings that when you move from there, because those are the as you move into the etheric planes, you've got the 33 astral planes and then from there up another 33 planes of the um, etheric planes. The first few couple of levels of the etheric planes, they're still actually chide you and say you don't want to be there because in a sense they are still very much involved with a certain level of astrology. There are very high elementals and devachonic beings there, but you can get caught there as well for a very, very long time. And that is what you don't want, because you want to pay off your karma quickly and you want to ascend. So my main reason for bringing up this conversation is to try and shift people out of the box. Right. Well, that's quite a box that uh, we have to... Uh, shift people out of we'll continue shifting the box in a moment let us just quickly have a bit of music
So, we're back again, and, well, we've really opened a, a vast subject here, but I think just for a moment before we go off on any one of these themes, let's come back to this comment that Amorius made, that things are not what they seem. Um, what do you think the Master means when he says that? Well, he is referring to two things. He is reminding you that you live in a phenomenal world. Therefore, don't think that what you're looking at is what you think it is. Now, this is a bit of an ambiguous statement, isn't it? Because in it, the Master is chiding us to look around and even a fixed thing or semi-fixed thing like your home Remember, all it takes is an earthquake, as negative as that sounds, and the home is gone. Okay, one very terrible hurricane or something like they experience in America and so on, and you could be in a lot of trouble. And even in time itself, through civilizations, these buildings only remain for a certain time and they crumble because they have their counterpart above them. Everything is its counterpart above them. That doesn't mean immediately in heaven. There are levels before you get to heaven, and it can only remain so long, and then it crumbles. Why? Because it's bound to time. What Almoria is pointing to is that time changes everything. Time in itself, if you like, is the equilibrator. Time in itself says to you, you only have A to B, which, let's say, is 12 hours, for example. You only have 72 uh, years. You only have a week. You only have a month. So we are very much pressurized in the sense that we're time-bound. But at the same time as the Elohim will teach you, that in itself is God's mercy. What it would be if time was a lot more complicated than that and you were bound, <coughs> excuse me, for a very, very long time in absolutely unforgivable situations. This is why the saying Jesus also made is this too shall pass. <coughs> These things shall pass because time will not allow you to be bound for a very particularly long time. Time will not allow mankind to be fixed to a body that is aging and really um, no longer can support you. Therefore, at a certain time, like the houses in civilization that must go, the body too must go. Why? Because this is a non-permanent world. Nothing here is permanent. What I'd like my listeners to understand is that, in fact, the higher to the etheric octaves you go and to the crystal cities of light and to the celestial universes, um, so-called, uh, it's permanent there. Those crystalline cities of light are permanent because they are not bound to time. We cannot say, gee, how long have they been standing for? Because that comes out of the concept of time. They've always been because they will always be. Because they are not bound to time, they are in the eternal now. What Moria reminds us of is that we are not yet ascended. We are not in the eternal now. So by God's mercy and the grace of Elohim, things shift and change all the time. So the things you see around you are not quite what they seem. Therefore, don't become so attached to them. What that really is at the back end of it all is, is, can be linked to the teaching of Gautama Buddha. Don't be so attached to your life. Don't be so attached to everything that is around you and even to one another. 
Now, this is a difficult one because Amoria also makes a statement, these are the lesser loves until you ascend. And we'll say, I love my family. I love my beloved. I love the cat, the dog, my children, and so much. How can you be so cruel? How can you say that? Well, these are all the lesser loves. Because until you fully engage in Christ consciousness, you won't find what the power of divine love really is, or in the heart of the mother or the Buddha. And then when you ascend as every single ascended being who has ever um, decided to turn around, as it were, and work back into the physical octave with mankind, particularly these of the last uh, hundred years or so from Saint Germain to this moment, still under his divine wing will tell you that where they are, the beauty of it and the permanence of it is truly, absolutely, unspeakably, sacredly magnificent. It is paradise because it is permanent. The things you create, they don't crumble because of age. They can't be taken away from you because of some malefactor. And your body doesn't age, etc., etc. There's no such thing as sickness or death or anything like that. And some people will say, oh, this is all just phenomenal nonsense. It's rubbish. But it's because we've also been re-embodying and re-embodying and re-embodying. The masters have infinite compassion for people like that. They are not judged for such statements because they know nothing else. And until you know better, you don't know anything else. Until your understanding is corrected and deepen your soul, you can actually assimilate that correction and make it your own. How will you know better? So therefore, um, we are taught the things are not what they seem. It's a gentle reminder not to be too attached. Don't be too stuck in what you think, well, this is it, because life will invariably, 9.9 times out of 10, come and remove it from you, because it's in permanent Ralph. This mm. is why most people today are turning to Buddhism, because they find in it an, in an intense measure of release of mercy, of compassion, because they slowly begin to assimilate, they slowly begin to understand that none of these things, as solid as they seem, are real. Hmm. Now that's, that, is, that is so amazing. So, and it is very difficult for some people to relinquish their hold over the material things, and they are very aggressive about protecting it. So quite a major shift uh, in perspective has to take place. So this change can obviously only take place here in the physical world. Otherwise we wouldn't be reincarnating all the time. So it is very important that we use the time on earth to our, to our benefits, which is to um, work our karma off, but also to work at our own inner development. Ralph, people must understand, and again, this is given with the deepest sense of love and compassion I can possibly bring forward over a lifetime of going through things myself, of being taught and having the permission and grace to teach, is that I'd like to give you the example of the very, very rich man. Um, please, I'm not talking about where the world is right now and, and these very dark beings who have ulterior motives, but you take the case of the rich man who is rich woman if you like is very asleep and they hang on to their money their whole life I know you know a particular individual like that now is at the end of his life and they are very miserly they are very greedy and they are very selfish with their money and they don't want to give anybody any of it and they've got X amount which is double 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 zeros in the bank you see and then they die 
And to get that out of the, uh, if you've got family and so on, is impossible because, you know, obviously the government's going to climb in and all sorts of things. And, in fact, what you leave behind you is a trail of unutterable misery for those who must uh, move in the wake of that. But there is no guarantee, and I say this in italics with a bit of sarcasm, Mr. Richman, that when you reincarnate, you will have wealth again. In fact, invariably, it's the absolute opposite. They have to move into a situation where every cent they have to almost, you know, work with the proverbial sweat of the brow to get for the whole embodiment because of such abuse. I don't know if that makes any sense. Yeah. So if we look at that as an example, it's very, very important to understand it. <clears throat> so if ever a person in a particular embodiment doesn't use their money wisely, the chances are that they will forfeit that, uh, that wealth in the very next life. So the karma uh, is really a, a great factor in helping us to change. Blessed one, we do not own anything on this planet. We don't own the blood in our veins. The air we breathe, we do not beat our own hearts. We do not lubricate our own brains so that they work. We do not see every day that the organs are functioning accordingly. We do not manually rinse out the kidneys. I'm being rather silly here, but in a sense I have to do that. Because some people tend to take this for absolute granted. Your body is not yours. When you go and die or so-called make transition, you only take your spirit with you. Nothing, and not even the spirit, is guaranteed you until you ascend. Hmm. Because people get lost. People get lost in the astral realms. People get lost on earth. So in that sense, when mankind does finally wake up and realize this fallen attribute of communism and the redistribution of wealth is a misnomer. Because we own nothing anyway. Hmm. It is greed, it is, it is avarice, and it is hatred that has caused the 1% that has put the planet in the position that it is at this point in time because they refuse to understand this law. Hmm. But I think it's very important that the 99% wakes now up. They need to wake up that there is a higher reality because the 1% is, is trying to take their liberty away from them. Yes, well, without going into a, a political... Um, uh, yeah, a situation here which I really am at great cause to to divert from because it's 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 a hot nest of invariables and there's nothing you can even so much as pinpoint because it changes not from one day to the next, from one minute to the next, such as the fallen mind. Thus, you will find that people who are really not um, anchored in their bodies very well. They have no foundation in any form of divinity. They don't believe in much. They are pretty reckless. These are pretty scary people to have any form of a relationship with, let alone to marry, because from one day to the next you can be loved and the next you can have a fist or a slap across the face and all sorts of things happen and people don't understand what has happened to the beloved I married because of that very situation within the soul, that there's no foundation of the soul, there's no belief in that soul, there is no divine premise within that soul, they are a law unto themselves, they think they can do what they like, and they wax and they wane with the moon, and you know El Moria often says, <coughs> the wind will blow where it will, you see, the wind will blow where it will, whereas in the light of Christ, in the light of the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are actually able, <clears throat> because the wind is synonymous here of the mind, 
All right. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and the Christ, we are able to balance the mind, we are able to calm the mind, and we are able to then become, first of all, rational, and a certain sense of foundation in our being. And out of that rational grows the first premise of a kind of moral responsibility, which is, you could say, like the little shoot suddenly starts coming up out of the ground, the first potential to divinity. Mm. So we have... Um, we are in quite a tragic circumstance now in the world because... Um, uh, people just won't uh, wake up. Because if we don't start taking a stand and start taking charge of our lives, we're, we're going to have the dog being wa- wagged by the tail. So I think that's p- particularly where we are right now. But just before we pursue this conversation some more, I'm going to play a song now. And uh, it is about the violet flame, because the violet flame is the power of transmutation. And maybe we can also talk about, about the violet flame when we come back. Spin, spin. 
So there we've got an amazing song about the violet flame and spinning in the violet flame because the violet flame is the power of transmutation and uh, uh, this is what we really need today. Instead of becoming a victim, we've got to t- take responsibility for our situation and transform it. Uh, this victim mode seems to be um, something people take on far too readily. Would you agree with me, Anna Kalima? Yeah, it's, one's got to touch into the subtleties there and work again with compassion as to what is victim mode. You see, yes, it's right to say you're in victim mode, but there's a foundation there out of which you arrived there. The foundation, tragically, is fear. So if you don't know, you will become a victim. If you don't know, any better. Almoria says again, if people knew better, they would do better. If you don't know, to know is actually the first premise to understand. If you know something, you then assimilate it and you begin to understand. It's not the finale. Well, I know this. It doesn't mean anything. You've got to assimilate it. But if people don't get given an opportunity to know, how will they assimilate? Therefore, form some form of understanding, even if that understanding is a little off-key or, or skew or whatever the case may be. We all started somewhere at some stage in our various embodiments. So victim mode, very tragedy, although it's scorned, it's the very, very, very worst thing you can ever do to anyone if you can see they are in victim mode. Because victim mode is also a lot to do with self-pity. If it's mostly people who are very open to victim mode are people who are very swamped up in self-pity. And self-pity, as Saint Germain has taught again and again, is nothing other than absolute selfishness. Now what is selfishness? It means that you only think of you. Your whole world revolves around you, and boy, the world is full of those right now. Okay, and they are the most vulnerable to becoming victims. People who are very selfish, or if you, another word for selfish is egocentric, because the self is and becomes the ish or the id or the, the little demigod in your world and it's all about me, my and I. And there's this famous saying with people like that, if you take the I out of their conversations, they've got nothing to say. There's almost nothing to say. If you remove the I, this I, that, I said, I'm doing I, 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 my, if you move those out, conversation is suddenly completely empty. 
It's got nothing in it. There's no foundation. But we have to, we are exhorted by the masters. We have to work with compassion and understand that somewhere along the line, individuals have, through self-pity, again, self-pity sometimes often starts with fear because you feel a bit sorry for yourself because you feel the the edging in of your calm and you don't know how to deal with it. So you enter into a little bit of a sympathy spiral with yourself. You see, sympathy is the perversion of mercy. And we have a world full of sympathizers. We have, I don't know, I certainly know in my time, if you remember when the CNA was the, the B end and B all next to the post office was everything because there was still telegrams and so on. And anyone died, they got these sympathy cards. Okay. But, and there was a, a time when you, when you go into these, these uh, news shops where they would have <clears throat> these rows down the center instead of now it's just books and whatnot and digital stuff. You could buy them as beautiful cards but all in the name of sympathy. And what people don't understand is what does sympathy mean? Because pathy is your pathology, it's your psyche, it's your your state of mind in your soul. And to sympathize means that we synchronize with the state of pathology in that one's soul. Therefore, in a way, what we're saying when we say I sympathize with you is I agree with your situation. I agree with your stand. You just carry on. You take your stand, even if that stand is totally routed in selfishness and um, jealousy and all kinds of things. So we have to move away from it because sympathy is intended to be mercy, you see. Mercifully, we, we, we have compassion. Someone's been married for 40 years, their life partner goes, and they're in an absolute state because now they've got to learn how to live again. You have mercy for someone like that. Or mercy because someone's just been told they've got terminal something or other, cancer or whatever. You have mercy for these situations. You have mercy for the amount of people who are unemployed now because of this terrible evil that's going on in the planet at the moment. Not sympathy. I'm just showing you these things, uh, Ralph, because they all come back to a cardinal point. And that cardinal point is fear. And out of fear, again, I quote beloved El Moria, and also Lord Maitreya, who says that condemnation is still rife on the planet. And the root of condemnation is the Nephilim consciousness, or the fallen being. Nephilim is a Hebrew word for fallen angel. So we use the word Nephilim because we don't always want to say the fallen angels. Okay, But we say the Nephilim axiom is condemnation. Why? And there was a war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought. And what happened? Michael threw Lucifer out of heaven. And Lucifer descended into this matter plane of the universe. He descended in here with 200 of his cadre, 200 of him. There was not just Lucifer. There was a fall of a set amount of angels that were thrown out, including Elohim. All right? And they were then sent into the matter plane and told they may not return because of what took place there, you see. That condemnation is actually judgment. It was the judgment of Alpha and Omega upon their atrocities and their absolute sin, an abomination of sin. So what the Nephilim have done is they've taken that judgment and they've projected it onto humanity as condemnation. And Al Moria is very clear, and so is Lord Maitreya, the Cosmic Christ, 
in telling you that the root of condemnation is the Nephilim. That's why they are so, the masters are so compassionate with us because so much of us have been embroiled in condemning one another and self. And in fact, this energy of condemnation is so rife in the world. It has been for a very long time. In fact, Ralph, if you look just gently at this entire last civilization of 14,000 years that's Atlantis, it's been nothing but war. How does war start? Condemnation. You judge someone, you condemn them. No, you said that. Right, I'm declaring war. In those days, it was all feudal and tribe against tribe. Well, now you've got a very different situation because of the apparent advancement of mankind. Does any of this make sense? Yeah. Well, there we have it. So the Nephilim mind of condemnation is at the root of, of much of our trouble. Um, well, for more, probably more than 14,000 years. Oh, far more. It goes back to Lemuria. Yeah. So uh, the, this, this is where humanity needs to, to wake up so that we realize that condemnation is not part of our true nature. Uh, our true nature is more in, involved in empathy and love and and if you're willing to sit around a table and discuss something, there's eventually you will find your way forward. But what tends to happen is through condemnation, we ac accept uh, how we've been condemned. And uh, uh, that is g really giving up our freedom. You, you see, you, nobody likes to be, I mean, let's look at it as most basic principles. Nobody likes to be accused, or it normally starts with uh, judgment and accusations. Criticism is the first part. The critic. Woe, woe unto the critic. The masters warn and warn again. Lord Maitreya has given countless dictations on criticism. And this penchant mankind has to just criticize one another and then to judge and condemn because it all runs one after the other. So let's look at it. No one wants to be criticized. Um, if you don't make error, how will you learn? Error is meant as a teacher, not a judgment. What they've done is they've taken error and they've turned it into a judgment, into a condemnation, and it's been going on for a very long time. So the minute you, even in school, you know, kids make a mistake and they feel as they have been criticized and judged immediately by their peer group and by the teacher logistics that are there. And they do. Very ignorantly, these teachers climb in boots and all. They're normally victimized. They pick on certain people they don't like because of the energy factors. And they judge them. I had that my whole life in high school. I know what it is like to be used as a target by ignorant teachers because they cannot stand your energy. And therefore, they will actually get the thrust of the peer group of the of the of the of the learners and the and the whatever you want to call them the your your friends and so on at school to actually gang up against you what is ganging all to do with gangsterism is to do with one consensus that says he she they are guilty and they go all hell for leather after them to go and destroy them or to go and cause <coughs> tremendous problems none of us want to be accused of anything why because the soul is pure ralph your soul is pure. You know, we get very confused in, in Christianic teachings and Buddhism. Well, we're told we're pure, and yet there's this constant condemnation everywhere. Where does that lead to? Confusion. Because now you become confused. Because the holy of holies, your heart, your inner being, you know that you are pure inside. You know that you are innocent. We're talking about a divine innocence here. Okay. 
Um, not a plagiaristic innocence, a, div a divine innocence that is inherent in children as an example. But look at the child. as if, if, if the child gets accused, look at what happens. They regress often. If the accusations are strong enough in criticism, mm -hmm. children can even commit suicide. It's so bad. Mm -hmm. This is called bullying. Okay, because the damage that that accusation does is absolutely frightening. Because eventually the odds get stacked up against you to the point where you don't know what to do. What was the Middle Age Renaissance about, the witch burning and the book burning and all the rest of it? It was all to stop the awakening consciousness of mankind and to accuse the light bearers of being the very necromancers and witches and warlocks and things that they were themselves. So at the end of the day, victimization and... Being condemned, being judged is the call of the hour. This is what we live in. This is the Kali Yuga. This is what the Kali Yuga is about. The Kali Yuga is about condemnation. Okay, and it's about the projection of condemnation onto mankind and how mankind has willingly swallowed it. And you do get the proverbial vigilantes. You do get people out there who are very proud of it. They say, yeah, well, I'm the black sheep. What does that mean? Oh, no, I love being a black sheep. And they go out of their way to be really quite a, 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 a reckless individual. Because deep down inside of that reckless individual is scarring that is so deep, it may take lifetimes for that person to heal. Yeah. Well, it probably will take lifetimes. So this condemnation is something that, that is rooted already so early in childhood. It's already uh, a problem in the early years of a child. In the first seven years, when... Uh, that when the child is still so closely connected to the angelic world, in fact, to the uh, archai angelic world uh, in those first seven years, and they're already subjected to the Nephilim consciousness of judgment. So we are in a time, living in a time, where education really doesn't need a major shift. But... Um, we are having to actually wake up. That is the question. You see, with all these things that are happening now, humanity cannot remain in the same frame of mind. This condemnation frame of mind has to be questioned. Uh, people have to try and find a way to really, instead of criticism, um, bring about more love, more mercy, more compassion, and more empathy, which then will find other ways of doing things. So this is quite a key moment in history, I think. Ralph, people will only overcome condemnation when they overcome greed. Okay, because it suits people to condemn, it suits them to judge, because they, they line the coffers. This whole pandemic on this planet is out of greed. It's the 1% that wants to control everyone because <clears throat> they see mankind as a form of cheap labor. Okay, and they want the light and they want to prevent the golden age. But what is the back of it all? It's greed. If you look, and I know this seems to be stretching a little bit out of the conversation, because it actually struck me this morning quite intensely when I came upstairs to come and join you in, in the, the studio this morning is I wonder if people understand that the concept of CBD, Central Business District, the concept of urbanism, the concept of the suburb is most sinister 
It is sinister suburbanism. Because what is happening, and let's take the vast country like America, um, the great outbacks of Australia, South Africa, and other great places. Uh, okay, there's a lot of places in, in Russia that are a little bit inhospitable as they're moving right up into the Arctic Pole. But if you look at the average country, there's still so much space attainable. And yet we are putting beehives. Central Business District is a little beehive. Your, your your great cities have been broken down. They're still very strong in great metropoles like America, New York, and so on and so forth. I mean, when I stayed in Taiwan for a while, Taipei is basically the size of New York. It's frightening. I stood down one street and I looked uh, with my colleagues. I was there on business. I looked with my colleagues down the street, sort of trying to look up and down, and I couldn't see the end of the street. It just went on for forever and ever, these massive, massive, massive skyscrapers going down, down, down. I think, how long is this street? Okay, so these, this kind of living brings about a, 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 a very, very intense sense of unhealthiness. We should be able to live where we want to. We should be able to explore a bit deeper. We should be able to. There is plenty, plenty of space for everybody on this planet. There is plenty of of space for proper farming instead of cropping the farming so close as they do okay so at the end of the day the situation is what agreed because if you put people in a rat box type consciousness what do you get you can control them if you spread civilization out if you spread humanity out it's not so easy is it it's not so controllable is it then your municipalities and the face of the municipality has to completely shift because a municipality is a form of control in a particular suburbial area. Yeah. Well, that, that's, a, that's quite a thought. So, in the end of the day, then selfishness has to be overcome. But I don't think the average human being is really all... I mean, they don't... People like to have friends. People like to embrace other people. People naturally want to live in communities. People naturally want to love one another. So this greed thing is uh, something that is imposed upon yes. a municipality. It's imposed upon yes. the people. And uh, this way, coming back again to the Nephilim kind of thinking is to... Uh, impose these restrictions on the people so that they can, uh, through their greed, uh, suck off the light or, or the money. I mean, money and light are synonymous in that sense. Am I right? The Master Umram who recently ascended and his teacher, the ascended Master Peter Denoff, Peter Denoff was actually extremely clairvoyant and he did occasionally prognosticate. And he actually... The Ascended Master Peter Denov actually wrote, I do have it with me, um, not today, but I do have it on my device. He wrote a set of, very much like Nostradamus, predictions, as it were. And in that prediction, he spoke of this dilemma, and he spoke of the tremendous change that is coming, and how, in fact... The only way to come through it is to understand that mankind has been imprisoned for a very long time. 
In fact, you can say that this entire civilization has been one of a kind of imprisonment. Atlantis, in its heyday, when it started falling, entered into that kind of imprisoned state of being. And <clears throat> moving away from the higher archetypes of, of, of archetypes, sorry, of Elohimic principle of freedom. Freedom is a very personal thing. Um, having five billion in the bank doesn't mean you are free. You, the only time you are free is when you're free in your mind and you're free of the bondage of the five aggregates. We have five senses, okay, which is commonly understood in the medical world, but they are also known from an astral point of view as the five aggregates. And mankind is enslaved to his senses. He's enslaved to the taste sensation. He's enslaved to the olfactory senses of the nose and what he can smell. He's enslaved to the sense of a certain type of touch to control and hold and so on and so forth. And he is enslaved to the sacral center where the soul is at the moment, the seat of the soul just above um, the base chakra, because that is where the desire body is. The desire body in mankind sits there, not in the solar plexus. And this is why most people today <coughs> um, suffer from bodies that are not quite the shape they'd like them to be because of desire. And Jesus calls it inordinate desire. You just keep wanting, 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 wanting. And it is not always diet itself that changes the shape of the human body because there are two levels, main two levels, there are lots, but there are two main levels of digestion. When you read a book, you digest, you eat it. There is a, a cognitive, which is a higher word of saying, a deeper assimilative way of understanding, which is digestive in its process. But we don't call about mental digestion, we talk about assimilation. Where is it from the solar plexus down or the stomach, you have the metabol, and there is that digestive process which maintains the human body. But on both levels, you can be locked into inordinate desire because you just want and want. And the old axiom is how much is enough? When do you have enough? How much more do you want? How much money do you really need? Yeah. So um, I think at the moment people are being forced into <laughs> accepting uh, uh, a lack. And uh, a lack is also not a good thing, I think, because... Uh, you have to be able to feed your children and feed your family and live have a certain amount um, just to to be able to progress to, uh, spiritually to develop sp spiritually we one can't be forced into a, a lack situation so you on the one hand you have the greed which is oh a tremendous amount of want 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 and on the other hand they're forcing humanity into this condition of lack especially yeah, in Africa, we're seeing that at the moment, which is um, quite a sad thing for me, actually, personally. Now, uh, we're going to have another song, and then we'll come back, because uh, we are entering into quite an interesting domain in our discussion this morning. So the song we're going we're gonna to sing, um, they're going to sing Gracious Gautama.
So we were just talking here in the break about um, the situation in the world of ex- extremes where the very rich are getting richer and the poorer, the poor people are getting poorer. And that this is quite a dire situation because you can't teach a man about God and uh, higher aspirations when they don't have food and their children don't have food. They are making, and the press. The situation is quite desperate for certain people, and um, uh, we we we've got to really realise that things are uh, they're going to break out. Things are going to break out in the world. So, um, I suppose we can start thinking about how. What is the answer to this situation? I know prayer is definitely one of the big answers, and um, maybe saying mantric verses of the violet flame is definitely one of the answers. But when you look at the average man in the streets of Africa, my heart goes out to them for what is the situation, what is the solution that uh, we as a, a human being who uh, considers themselves awake to the situation. What is the possibility that we, that we can do to help the average man? First of all, it goes right back to the opening of this conversation is to realize that this is a phenomenal world or paranormal world um, against what is normal. Normal is a very personal archetype um, one man's meat, as they say, is another man's poison. What is a normal life to me could be absolute aberration to someone else, and so on and so forth. But at the end of the day, my feelings and with guidance from above that's given me in the work that I do is, and the work, for instance, that His Holiness the Dalai Lama does, is to work on altruism and to work on absolute compassion and understanding and to allow people to feel that, in fact, we are one human family, regardless of our cultural ethics and so on and so forth, and gender and all this kind of nonsense. 
and that there is actually no division. The biggest problem lies, as the Masters teach, is that people have been trained to believe they're separate from each other, and therefore all manner of segregism comes in after that. The minute you believe, and that is you, it's a part of your life, you live by your beliefs. People don't realize just how deeply they live by their beliefs. But if you really, really, really believe you're separate from each other because of the illusion of you having your own, I put that in italics, body makes you feel you're separate from the man next to you, therefore you're also separate from God. Therein lies the root of all evil. I mean, the quantum physicist will tell you that separation is an absolute illusion. It does not exist. Even in phenomena, there's no such thing as separation. Because all these things that are phenomenal are all linked. They're all linked to each other. There's no independent arising. Gautama Buddha taught this. The only independent arising is God, is the Godhead, is the immortal. Everything else is dependent. We are all dependent on each other, down to the last, down to the most. Whatever that might mean for you, we are all dependent upon one another. And that includes the whole of nature. So the idea that has been sown in absolute treachery and, and, and cynicism is that you are separate and therefore I can do what I like to you. But what they don't seem to understand is that that huge hole they're digging for humanity are going to fall in themselves because whether we like it or not, we are all linked to one another to a lesser or greater degree. That means we are linked to the ignorant, we are linked to the infamous, we are linked to the treacherous and the evil, and we are linked to the humble man and the innocent little child. We are all one in the body of God in mankind. Therefore, as Jesus taught, when ye have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Because regardless of how asleep we may judge the man in the street to be Christ resideth in there. Otherwise he wouldn't be walking in the street. He wouldn't have a threefold claim. He wouldn't even exist as a matter of fact. So the Christ principle in the threefold flame, the immortal flame that we move from one embodiment to the next from, okay, links us as being one in the body of God. This profound and yet extremely simple teaching must be given to mankind. And always, as St. Germain flashes through, it is the agent of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. It is His quintessence, His absolute essence of being, which is offered by the Mahachohan, okay, who has his retreat above Sri Lanka, uh, Ceylon. So, um, to get the gifts of the Holy Spirit is important because it also acts as a form of enlightenment, a form of awakening, and not in the charismatic sense. This babbling wolf in foreign tongues doesn't mean you've got the Holy Spirit in you. I'm very sorry. There's no point in babbling off in a whole foreign tongue and nobody knows what the name of God you're talking about and that's supposed to be holy. I'm afraid I can't get my head around that. If you really link that to being um, affected by the Holy Spirit, then I'm, oh, you've got the wrong spirit as far as I'm concerned. Because the Holy Spirit is to do with cognizance. When the Holy Spirit enlightens you, Gautama Buddha was enlightened through the Holy Spirit. He was enlightened through the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that quickens the heart. You know that moment, Ralph, when a concept is given to you and you mull it over and you start to digest or assimilate it and you process it probably for quite some time. Maybe even forget about it for a while. Get on with your life and then just something happens. One day something is said or you read something in a book or something like that and bang, the light goes on and you go, aha. 
and that thing you were busy with suddenly comes to the fore of your mind, and you think, oh my goodness. And there's this cognitive understanding that it explodes in your understanding. It's like an explosion. It's actually a fission. It's a divine fusion. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is when the Spirit of God brings together all the little pieces for you, and then this little puzzle, this little picture, the main two, three pieces of the picture fall into place, and you see the whole picture in your understanding. That's the only thing that will save this planet, is the light of the Holy Spirit in giving understanding or cognizance to mankind, so that the aha, suddenly, you know, when you're awake, you're awake. You cannot go back to sleep. Yes, some people do, tragically. But in the main, to go back to sleep is, in my opinion, um, absolutely one of the biggest cardinal sins there is. If you're going to go back to sleep, then I don't know. Then you, you're lacking in morality as far as I'm concerned. You, you've got to be able to say, aha, this is absolutely amazing. You've got to hang on to it. You've got to fight for it. You've got to develop it. You've got to assimilate it. You've got to ask the Ascended Masters for help. You've got to develop like you would be growing a bonsai tree, for example. And we all know how careful it is to grow a bonsai tree. It takes a long time to prune and snip and shape and prepare it and look after it. So in a sense, these kind of thoughts can be like a bonsai tree. You've got to constantly work at that garden and yet not work at it too much or you'll kill the tree. Wow, a very, very amazing symbolism there on the bonsai tree. Thank you very much, Anakalima. So we have to really um, engage with the higher hierarchies. And those hierarchies at this time are approaching humanity through the Ascendant Masters and, of course, through the angels as well. And right now, that veil is quite thin. There are many people who are directly having intercourse with them and can speak to the higher hierarchy. And it's a time now that we really need to do our prayers, to do our calls, and, um, well, things have to shift. I was just thinking aloud to myself while you were talking. There's another word called, that is connected to para. And that's the paradigm. Yes. And so the aha moment is a, a paradigm shift. So that is another moment of... That's when your consciousness shifts forever. Because you can't go back to where you were. Otherwise you wouldn't have had that opening moment. The consciousness opens. And what happens is flowering takes place. The flower, for example, opens. And you can't close the flower once it's opened, you see. And, and that moment, that cognizance in your soul, that deep inner conviction, another word is conviction, you're convinced, you're absolutely convinced. And you live by your convictions or your, and you make it a principle and you live by it. This is what people need to do, is to make these aha moments when they are true to God, true to the Holy Spirit, true to the Ascendant Masters, is their, their principles in life. And the principle in life must either transcend and move forward, or you don't break it. But you can also get stuck in them. Right. Okay. So, I just wanted to point out to you, Kanakalima, I don't know if you're aware, but a lot of your audience is in America. Quite a few people are listening to your uh, your talks in America. It's very wonderful. And quite a few overseas. And we thank you. Uh, oh, well, I must just say God bless America. I, I really have deep, deep inner convictions because of the Ascended Masters and Saint Germain of your elections. And I know for a fact that 
um, America will be saved because Saint Germain will not have it any other way. He is actually the true God government over America and the 14 sended masters that govern America. And I know that with the power of the great divine director and the Elohim and the power of Al Moria as well and all besides not the least which standing is Archangel Michael and Faith, the seven mighty archangels, that there is no other way but forward. Right. So we're going to have another little break and then we'll come back and... Um, and then we can also, you know, think about how we can to close off today. And um, let's have a, another song. Right, so now we're back again here with you. And uh, we've been talking about, you know, that um, the situation in the world is such that we really need to get this teaching out into the world. We have to get the world to know about the Ascended Master's teachings. 
who are very, they are, these teachings are so pertinent to what is happening and so pertinent to the shifting of the paradigm. And uh, we thank the people overseas who are listening to Blue Lotus Radio and listening to our podcasts. And um, we are thankful that the portal is gradually growing because this is a portal in which this teaching can reach a far wider audience despite the lockdown. And uh, lockdown has hampered our movement, but it cannot hamper our ability to teach when we have a portal like this, which has its podcasts as well. So we thank you all for supporting us, and we ask you to maybe pass on our, our contact and so that this portal can grow and grow. So, Anakalima, so have you got anything else to add to this topic? Of Yes, I'd just like to um, bring a sense of deepened reality to it in, in the 35 to nearly 40 years of my life I've been involved and steeped in the teachings and the authenticity of them is backed up by, obviously it has been my good Dharma karma. I have not just read, I have full experience of these beings from a young girl from the age of 15 on to where I am now. I have just recently celebrated my 60th birthday. Um, I have had contact with these divine beings which has let me, apart from its absolute privilege, in absolutely no other way of thinking that they are real, they exist, that the etheric cities of light are very real, they are as tangible to each other there as we are here, and that the various levels of living are like that. Again, I must use Jesus' words in my Father's house are many mansions, otherwise I would not have told you so. Those mansions he referred to was a veiled allegory for the type of consciousness that he had to teach at the time were very closed indeed and extremely locked into Judaism and that kind of thinking. So for him to open up a little bit further, um, they would have probably stoned him to death instantly because he often had to flee and run from his teachings because of the fact that they just thought he was the most blasphemous creature that ever walked the earth, you see, because he was stripping away the box. He was stripping away the religious foundations that had actually enclosed them and sealed them and locked them up so that they couldn't think out of the box, you see. Because right up until recently and even now, people like to still be led religiously. They like the priest to be standing in front of them. The whole teaching of the Ascended Masters is about, in fact, the priest is in your heart. The priest is your higher self. And that the Christ consciousness in Jesus comes through the second coming. The second coming of the Christ is not Jesus hailing down on some cloud for a mere little tiny group of people. It is actually to do with the etheric assimilation of the Christ in your consciousness where you receive enlightenment as Gautama did. You can also enlighten in the Christian sense. It is not just locked into Buddhism. So you receive what is enlightenment. It means to awake up in a certain level of your consciousness. To, to receive the enlightening envisaged being within your consciousness of Christ means that your thinking processes, your feeling processes, are given the light of Christ. They're given that, masters often refer to the light of Christ as the holy substance, that substance that comes through the Eucharist. When you take part of the 
blood and body of Christ. What is the blood? Is his spirit. What is the body? Is his wisdom. So we eat, we take in the wisdom, we drink the spirit of the Christ, and we awaken. And I would just like to share to anybody who's listening, I've had the supreme and incredible privilege of standing right before the living Saint Germain himself. I have looked into his crystalline blue diamond eyes. He is real. Lord Maitreya is real. I have stood before him. I have stood before Jesus. I have stood before Mother Mary. I have seen Master Kasumi. I have seen Gautama Buddha. I have seen the Lord Mahachahan. And many more. I have stood before them. They are real. They are very... I have seen and stood before my own twin flame. He is real. And these visions weren't given to me because, wow, Anna Klima, you're just a special girl. It's for mankind. It's not just for me. So I would like to make it as real for you as possible so that you understand I am the witness. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I am the witness of the Great White Brotherhood. And they are real. So I run these podcasts. I do the diamond streaming on a Sunday evening. I've given my entire life to this. Is, if you want to know my list, this is all I do. I don't hold down. Oh, so we've just had a bit of a 
technical break there, and we're back with you. And uh, and uh, Kalima was just explaining very, very, very much, very interesting thing about her life. And uh, please, Anna Kalima, can you continue, please? Yes, the, these things are sent to try us, aren't they? <laughs> right at the most poignant moment. So to our listeners, we are back online. We just simply rebooted, and we are back online. You know, it's one thing when you're working on your computer to reboot. When you're working on an internet radio like that, it's not just simple that you simply get thrown off. It's far more to it than one uh, meets the eye with. So saying that, I just would like to furnish, I don't want to go on too much more, that I am the witness of the Holy Spirit. I am the living witness of the Great White Brotherhood. And I am here to tell you that they are real, that what mankind commonly calls heaven comes under the title of haven. And it is the haven of the Great White Brotherhood in the heavenly worlds. The Great White Brotherhood being synonymous white of the pure white divine consecrated light of the Divine Mother in Alpha and Omega. And they are real. I have stood before these beings and uh, many more. And the reason that is, is, is quite simply with a message, go tell them. You know, messengers are created. You don't just suddenly become a messenger. Claire de Lee did not just become a messenger or Elizabeth Claire Prophet. David Lewis is not just off chance by a messenger there in Montana in America. All right. Um, we work very hard, lifetime after lifetime, to arrive at this point, to be given these kind of opportunities to link with cosmic beings who are very, very real, and that they are working with us hand in hand, that is, they work with mankind, being us, hand in hand in every single moment, the good and the bad. They are not just here in the good, they are here also in situations like we're facing in the present global war because it is war it is a biological war this is biochemical warfare that we are facing at the moment on our planet which has been predicted for quite some time to come even by the late great dr rudolf steiner he predicted that as well so we we look at the situation here and i say to you as their witness as a messenger there have been messengers before me there will be messengers after me there isn't only one in that sense and there are many people in the world today we have divine images. There are many people who have particularly strong links to our precious lady of the cosmic heart, the cosmic virgin Mary, who appears to people all over the world and um, not just predominantly in Europe and so on and so forth. As she's more commonly known there. Her appearances are here in South Africa. Her appearances have been in Egypt. Her appearances have been all over the world. All right, to her devotees. She does not belong to the Catholic Church. Mother Mary and the saints belong to all sentient beings. The saints ascended. In the, in the Bible they are referred to those robed in white. The saints robed in white. The 144,000 are in fact the ascended masters. Those who have gone before us, those who have been in embodiment like us, who have ascended. And I am one of their messengers and I am that witness through the Holy Spirit to the truth and absolute divine cosmic reality of the magnificent being Saint Germain is because he is real. I have stood before him not once, not twice, but severally. There are some of the ascended masters I am constantly in visual contact with. I have even stood before the great and magnificent noble and most he is the most wonderful being, his beloved Afra himself. 
I have stood before this mighty being. He is a magnificent being. He is truly the Vajradhara of Africa. Vajradhara means primal Buddha. And yes, Africa is a Buddha. And the Buddhic consciousness is not only for the East, it is for the West as well, which is the path of the cosmic Christ of Lord Maitreya, both the planetary Buddha and the cosmic Christ. It's the merging of the two streams of consciousness. It's the merging of East and West. You can archetype West into the Christ consciousness and uh, the East into the Buddhic, and both literally mean the illumined one. Christ consciousness or the Christ means the illumined one, and so does the Buddha. It means the enlightened one. So, yes, they are real. The magnificence of Gautama Buddha is real. The magnificence of Padmasambhava is real. The magnificence of the ascended Kleindalin and Nella are very real. I have stood before these ascended beings, and I want to share it with you, and I want to broadcast it to the world, and I want to tell you that they are real, that the Great White Brotherhood is real, and that you can say whatever you like about Church Universal and Triumphant in its heyday, it was real, and it is still real in the sense that the foundation of teachings are locked there that were given by the Ascended Masters through their messengers that are now ascended. And you don't have to be a chosen messenger. You don't have to be one that articulates specifically with the masses to receive them or see them. If you truly believe, if you truly believe as Jesus worked so hard to speak about, you will see them because believing is seeing. Seeing is not believing. I have seen these beings because I believed. I have seen them because I have believed so deeply and unutterably in them and know that they are there, that I have seen them. I have been awarded, as it were. And I would add to this and close my statement with this. There is an unspeakable element of the soul, your soul, my soul, where, in fact, words are a little bit short of the mark, human words. Our diction, the way we speak today, is a very sorry state from where we have descended but um, with the words that we do have anyway, I still can't fully describe to you what it means, what you feel inside your soul, what you feel inside your heart, how your own molecular vibration is altered, how the frequency of your own being is raised, how your chakras are opened, how the kundalini can be opened, as in my case it has been fully opened, how your consciousness can start to flower and flower until you reach the point where enlightenment is attainable. Enlightenment is not, was not only ever for Gautama Buddha and a few very high up lamas sitting in Tibet somewhere we know nothing of. And that uh, wisdom of divine intelligence in the Christ was not only for Jesus' disciple and Jesus, and well, well, you know, the rest of you are miserable sinners. It is for you. It's up to you whether you want to believe or not, because belief, my friends, is alchemical. It is alchemical. There is an alchemical fission that takes place within the threefold frame in the secret chamber of your heart. There is an actual alchemy. If you talk of aha moments, there is nothing more profound than the alchemical moment where you are given the privilege to see and look into the face of a magnificent being like Saint Germain. Oh, thank you very much for sharing. It's so wonderful to hear the words from someone who bears witness to these higher beings and these higher realities. We really appreciate and very great, grateful, Anakalima, that you share with us and that you bear witness and you bring that witness uh, to bear on uh, the world and the rest of us so that we know that these realities, in fact, are experiencing this time, although the world is 
in a dire state. There is wonderful things happening in the world for humanity. And uh, so we're going to go and have another little break. <coughs> and when we come back, Anaklima, could we perhaps, if uh, you can consider during the break, maybe bringing a message from one of the masters this, this day? It is probably... Uh, we have covered quite a lot of ground uh, talking today. And wouldn't it be nice just to hear something, a direct message from one of the masters. But we will come back in a moment. And uh, once again, Anna Kaluma, thank you very much for bearing witness. <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Anakiluma, that was really special what you brought this morning. So, I'm going to hand over the microphone to you now to bring whatever you feel moved to bring. Thank you, uh, dear Ralph, and all blessed souls who in our streaming <coughs> can hear me. And I don't mean just audibly, I mean in your heart. Yes, there are, as it were, audio, audio chambers within the heart. The heart both sees and it hears. And hence that incredible statement we often make when we're in the midst of deep conversation with people. What do we say? Yes, I see what you mean. And then you get a message on WhatsApp and you answer it and you say to them, Yes, I hear what you said. <laughs> but you didn't hear them audibly, did you? You didn't see it, did you, visually? 
What heard and saw for you to make both those comments? Yes, I hear what you say, and you're reading something. Because those words initially go to the heart, and the heart-mind, um, depending on whether they are words of light and love, or if they're very intellectually dead, it would probably stick only in concepts and in the intellect, but nonetheless you still receive it inwardly, and you still, in deep conversations, can see the light of conversations. And someone else says to you, you know, I want to move my house around, I'm going to do this and this. And you say, yes, you know, I can see that that actually looked really good. Um, conversation is quite actually interesting when you look at it, because we are constantly reporting or witnessing to the inner faculties of our being that we have. Because people say, oh, no, I, I, I'm not, I can't see, I can't hear. But of course you can. This is nonsense. You can see and hear inwardly. You just take stock of some of your local conversations, both digitally and amongst friends and family and whatever else, colleagues or the other, you'll find that, in fact, your report, your witness, is always to the inner faculty of what you have. Some people really, really see things far easier than others, and some people battle, but they actually hear things better than some people. It just depends. Um, some people can be pretty mute. You can say something on your digital responses. You know, I really hear you, and the person next to you say, well, hear what? Well, I can see is text written on the screen. You do get people like that, you know, because then they are a little bit uh, locked inward and a little bit, as one would like to say, which is in a way cruel, is they are brain-bound, or another word for brain-bound conversations is that you're a little bit of a slave. To, to intellectual conceptualism. You're not prepared to massage through intent and volition um, imagination. And imagination is the faculty of both. It's a faculty imagination. And I want to break that word up because it comes from the eye, the eye of God, the all-seeing eye of God in Elohim, Mati um, and and the image, the eye-magination, so in the eye of God, I, I have the image before me in my I am presence because the T-I-O-N always stands for the I am that I am. So your imagination really means, yes, in the eye of God, I have the image before me through my I am presence. That's what the word imagination means, um, regardless of what intellectual boffins might say, that it's got nothing to do with that. It has absolutely everything to do with it. So in your imagination, when you allow it to take flight with the wings of hope and faith, you will be surprised at how the angels will invest. And there are different forms of investor chosen there. It's not just around money, although money originally comes from light because gold is nothing but crystallized sunlight. Okay, just as if you have other precious crystals and gems, gold is crystallized sunlight, and people hanker after it because of its value, its intrinsic value. But I want to tell you that the greatest gold of all lives in your heart and in your veins. The miners will tell you that they look for veins of gold to mine out of the earth. Well, the veins of spiritual gold that are in your blood are that that come from the Eucharist and the Spirit of Christ. And every time you partake, you don't have to go to any church to do this. The Eucharist is always available, every day, all day, all night, whenever, simply attuning your heart, mind, and soul Head, heart, and hands to Christ the Almighty. To the cosmic Christ, Jesus is also a cosmic Christ. To the cosmic Christ in Jesus, or, or Lord Maitreya, or Saint Germain, he is a cosmic Christ. 
and you can receive the Eucharist. In other words, you can receive that benediction or absolution by receiving wisdom, by receiving the spirit or blood of that particular ascended being. So I want you to just know that you can have the enactment of forgiveness and absolution and the receiving the Eucharist privately right within your very own heart, your threefold flame, where Jesus taught us to go in and close the door and kneel before you at the altar of your heart. Closing the door is to close your five senses, to close all distractions, mute your cell phones and devices, and find a time and a space and a place to just sit quietly where you won't be disturbed. Because, you know, I have found in my life, in a matter of practicality, and I would share with you, I think spirit, when you truly live it, is a very practical thing. Sometimes just ten minutes with God in a very deep moment like that is more intense and deep than trying to sit there for a whole hour thinking you're connecting with him when you aren't. And perhaps are actually you know, distracted, even if it is by your subconscious mind with all the kinds of effluvia, as Saint Germain calls it, all the clouds. You see them changing shape all the time. Your thoughts change shape all the time. You you want to do this and that, and then you've got all these thoughts appearing like clouds in all kinds of different shapes. Happy thoughts, sad thoughts, mad thoughts, bad thoughts, whatever you might come up with. They are like clouds. This is phenomena. This is the phenomenal world that comes to seek to disrupt your normal living. And your normal living is not normal because you're seeking to awaken in Christ. And this is a very important thing that you understand Christ is the universal consciousness of mankind. It is the universal spirit out of which the whole of the great white brotherhood operates and the Holy Spirit will come to you. That includes all Buddhism. In the great white brotherhood, Gautama is also known as Gautama the Christ. He's not just Gautama the Buddha. He is a Christed being as well. So please bear that in mind. There is actually no separation whatsoever from these two streams of consciousness, these two principles. This is what the Golden Age is about. Yes, the Golden Age of Saint Germain is to do with the merging of the Christ and the Buddhic consciousness through the heart of the Mother so that we awaken in the thousand-petaled lotus crown chakra to knowing, to enlightenment. And there are four levels to enlightenment and Gautama Buddha went beyond the fourth and even into the fifth realm, which is the realm of the Paramahansa or the realm of the swan. He went into the realm of the I am that I am. Uh, so we begin at the bottom end of the ladder. We begin on the first level of enlightenment, which is basically deep, deep inner knowing and understanding. That deep conviction in your heart of God, of Christ, of his angels, of the masters, is the first level of enlightenment. It is enlightenment. And therefore we exercise that enlightenment by expanding the heart through love, through the principle of love in service to serve one another and to take the great Holy Christ precept given by Lord Maitreya to beloved Jesus who said, except that ye love one another as I have loved you, you must obey this law for no greater love hath man for his brother than he lays his life down for another and even by sitting here talking to you, I'm laying my life down for you. I could be doing other things. I could be busy sorting things out and so on and so forth that I have neglected or needed to do, etc., etc. But I put aside everything and I come to the radio and I lay down my life, my life forces. So therefore, what am I doing? I'm sharing with you my body and my blood. I'm sharing with you the wisdom I have. And I'm sharing with you the spirit I have been invested in Christ with through the Holy Spirit 
so that you can receive the principle of the Great White Brotherhood through Ascended Consciousness. And if we can all just for a moment take a deep breath, quietly assimilate this, quietly hold it in your heart, and allow it to move through you. You know, it's very much like when you get into a lovely hot bath and you soak in that bath, you sink down in the water, and you feel your whole body absorbing this wondrous warmth at the end of your day, whenever it may be, and you're just in bliss because it's just so wonderful to be free of everything and everyone, quietly in your bathroom, in this wondrous warm water that your body is rapidly absorbing. Rather see the Christ like that, rather see the principle of Buddha like that, that you absorb the warmth, because spirit is always warm. It's the one way you can always tell when you're dealing with spirit and the Ascended Masters is is warm. If the spirit around you is not warm and it's cold, you have a problem. All right, This is where you have interference with poltergeist and roaming spirits and so on and so forth. So you will always know in the heart that the warmth of the spirit embellishes, the warmth of the spirit envelops. It absolutely forms a a copy of divine love around you in the abundance of that love so that you feel bathed in it and you feel transmuted in that light and we can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit now through the Lord Mahachahan the center of the flame of Mahachahan is pink the flame is white in its essence and yet at the center of this flame comfort's flame which Jesus left and if you know your teachings he said when he left that he leaves the comforter with you well, the comforter is the principle of the Mahachahan, and the comforter is the pink flame. It's also the center of the violet flame. The center of the violet flame is pink. Violet, purple, pink. In its center, it's pink. And that pink light is comfort's flame. This light, interestingly enough, if you're interested in these things, when people make transition out of tremendous trauma, um, violent road death, murder, and so on, or very terrible illnesses and so on, they are taken to certain retreats, you see, where they are bathed in resuscitation's flame and comfort's flame. And these flames vary from the very soft pearl, mother of pearl, white, to the pinks. That you literally are bathed in, you are, in a sense, radiated in, so that your consciousness that is affected by all this can heal and literally be kind of put back together again. So the comfort flame of the Mahachahan is to do just that. Because often while we are in embodiment, while we sit here, particularly in these times, we are dismembered. To remember means to put back together again an event. Well, even in your body and your mind, you are dismembered. You are kind of separated off from your own sense of reality and foundation. So the Holy Spirit comes and he says unto you, I enfold you and envelop you in the mantle of comfort that I may draw you in a divine, pink, beautiful, living, golden light that seals you in the sphere of your auric emanation. And the aura is contrary to popular belief around. It is not oval, as has been depicted in certain late theosophical teachings. It is actually round. Consciousness is round. Your mind consciousness, the sphere of your consciousness is round. That's why the planet is round. And that's why all atoms and molecules are actually round in your body for a reason. Because they mirror your consciousness. The cell and the shape of the cell, the little round cell, mirrors your consciousness. And consciousness is a sphere. So the great and mighty sphere of divine macrocosmic 
omnipotence of God is actually spherical. It is round and it moves out in concentric rings on and on into infinity. So please accept the light of the Lord Mahachahan as he bathes you now through the power of his spirit in comfort's ray and says, Be not moved, for they shall not pass. They shall not pass. They shall not pass. Stand your ground in Christ. Stand your ground in the heart of the Lord of the world, Gautama Buddha. Stand your ground with it. You is hallowed. If you take your shoes off anywhere you are, even if you're standing on concrete, the ground is instantly hallowed. When we take our shoes off where we stand, there God is with us. And the light of the iron presence descends over the crystal cord, through the crown chakra, past the iron throat and into the heart, and then the whole auric eminence of your being is sealed in that light. That light infuses ingrammatically into every atom, cell, molecule and electron of your being. And then you begin to emanate or radiate out into your own aura a sense of calm, a sense of peace. And the world needs your peace right now. The world, everybody, regardless of where they are, need peace. Or without peace and without harmony, we will not overcome this war we are facing. And I have seen a brighter side, and I have been shown a thing or two. And I am nobody, I am simply a servant of the Lord. Yet I will tell you, I will tell you again, we will win this war. Because God is the only power that can act. And evil is not real, its appearance has no power. It's an energy veil, the word evil means energy veil, break it up. The energy veil will break, it will divide. The veil will lift and we will see the truth. And we will know the truth, and we will become the truth. And we will remain calm while we are bathed in the light of the Holy Spirit and our I Am Presence. I bless and seal you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and through the golden heart of the most blessed and most magnificent Saint Germain. I thank you. Oh, my name.
So uh, I just want to thank Anakalima very much for bringing us the presence of the Holy Spirit, Mahatrahan, who spoke to us there, and it was very, very, very beautiful. Thank you. I could feel immediately I was in, in the presence. And, uh, well, we, we're going to close off now, and I just want to give you, if you want to have contact with us, the Blue Lotus Radio, Anakalima Talk, you can contact Aniela on her, this number here. Plus two seven seven two one seven eight two nine one two and I want to repeat that. Plus two seven seven two one seven eight two nine one two. And you can uh, communicate with her. You can even make a donation which would be quite quite welcome. But you could ask her questions and she will uh, coordinate these uh, messages and bring them to me. And uh, we will, every Wednesday, we will have this talk show uh, with Anna Lima, and we can bring your questions and your liaison uh, directly to her. And if you do that, you must be aware that you are uh, presenting directly to the masters, and if they respond to you, that is quite a grace. So, thank you so much for joining me today on Blue Lotus Radio. I am grateful that the, the platform and the portal is expanding and our podcasts are available on Spotify and a number of others. So, that's where the podcasts are, are being um, published is through Spotify. And... Um, I thank you all for listening to our work at the Blue Lotus Radio. So I wish you a wonderful day for the rest of the day, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>